You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. Tonight's reading comes from 2 Samuel chapter 13, verses 1 through 22. Now Absalom, David's son, had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And after a time, Amnon, David's son, loved her. And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend who, whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very crafty man. And he said to him, O son of the king, why are you so haggard morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Amnon said to him, I love, my, I love Tamar, my brother Absalom's sister. Jonadab said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. And when your father comes to see you, say to him, Let my sister Tamar come and give me bread to eat, and prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretend to be ill. And when the king came to him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister Tamar come and make a couple of cakes in my sight that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent home to Tamar, saying, Go to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, where he was lying down, and she took dough and kneaded it and made cakes in his sight and baked the cakes. And she took the pan and emptied it out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Send out everyone from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the chamber that I may eat from your hand. And Tamar took the cakes she had made and brought them into the chamber to Amnon her brother. But when she brought them near to eat, he took hold of her and said, Come, lie with me, my sister. She answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this outrageous thing. As for me, where could I carry my shame? And as for you, you would be as one of the outrageous fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. But he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Then Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, so that the hatred with which he had hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go. But she said to him, no, my brother, for this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you did to me. But he would not listen to her. And he called the young man who served him and said, Put this woman out of my presence and bolt the door after her. Now she was wearing a long robe with sleeves, for thus were the virgin daughters of the king dressed. So his servant put her out and bolted the door after her. And Tamar put ashes on her head and tore the long robe that she wore. And she laid her hand on her head and went away crying aloud as she went. And her brother Absalom said to her, Has Amnon your brother been with you? Now hold your peace, sister. He is your brother. Do not take this to heart. So Tamar lived, a desolate woman, in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard of all these things, he was very angry. But Absalom spoke to Amnon, neither good nor bad, for Absalom hated Amnon because he had violated his sister Tamar. This is the word of the Lord.
Lord, with, uh, with sweaty palms and r- raised blood pressure. We ask that you would help us to understand what we have read. Help us to believe what we have read. Help us to repent in light of what we have read. Even to be transformed individually and corporately by what we've read and by the words that you have said. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. <sighs> Sexual sin is rampant in our culture and in our country. One in four women and one in six men will be sexually assaulted at some point in their lifetimes. And these statistics are probably underestimates. That's about 20 women in this room. About 13 men, if those statistics hold true. If that is you, be it in the past or in the future, you're safe here. And if you don't feel safe here, then come to us as the leaders of this church, and we will do everything in our power to make sure you feel safe here. And we pray you feel safe even through this message today. The reality is that God's people have never been immune to the temptation of the indulgence in and the damage caused by sexual sin. I pray that our text tonight will shine the light of grace and truth from God himself into the place we find ourselves as a convention of cooperating churches, as Nathan described, as a local church here for Christ Church and as individuals in that church. And so... And so we go to 2 Samuel 13 that Jess read for us. If you're unfamiliar with this part of the Old Testament, um, or perhaps it's been a while since you read it, 2 Samuel 13, uh, King David, who was given the unmatchable uh, title of a man after God's own heart and given matchless faith in in the face of enemies that seemed impossible to defeat, is in a moral tailspin himself that has brought instability to his household, to his kingdom, to God's people that he was in charge of to lead and protect. And if if you read any of the articles we linked you to in this week's uh, weekly email, then the story of Tamar should have a nauseating familiarity to it. The outline we're going to see in 2 Samuel 13, and much too clearly reflected in these discoveries across our convention perhaps across this room, is that broken desires lead to broken trust that leads to broken hearts that are in need of a broken Savior. So first, broken desires. Let's talk about Amnon for a bit. Amnon was uh, David's first son, his firstborn son, and a spoiled, take whatever you want kind of firstborn son was he. The text says in verse 1, Amnon loved his half-sister Tamar. What a twisted word to use in this context. What kind of love? What kind of love does what Amnon did? What kind of love wants that which God forbids? What kind of love takes what does not belong to it? Something so precious and treasured. What kind of love uses, abuses, and then discards? 
There's only one love capable of such hate, and that is self-love. Lust-filled self-love is what Amnon had for Tamar. He wanted her body, not her heart, not her life, not her friendship, not her help. To him, she was a shiny toy, and all he wanted to do was play with her for a bit. And within a matter of seconds, she went from a toy to be played with to trash to be discarded in his eyes. What a heartbreaking, rage-inducing, gut-wrenching tragedy for Tamar and for anyone with a conscience and a clear biblical conviction about the dignity of image bearers and the nature of self-sacrificial godly love. In their wonderful book, Rid of My Disgrace, Hope and Healing for Victims of Sexual Abuse, Justin and Lindsay Holcomb, they write this, the fall and sin have inverted mutual love and harmony into domination of and violence against each other. And sex, the very expression of human unity and peace, becomes a tool for violence after the fall. This is what we see in 2 Samuel 13. And what too many in the Southern Baptist Convention and too many here in our city and too many here at our church have experienced. Verse 2 says that Amnon was tormented. So tormented that he became ill. He knew his desire for his sister was unnatural and forbidden. But instead of self-inspection, instead of submission to God's word, he chose to wallow in temptation and eventually to act on that temptation. Instead of God's voice, Amnon listened to his cousin, Jonadab, whose crafty voice echoed all the way from the Garden of Eden, from the serpent's voice in that garden, redefining what is good, questioning what God has said is right and is evil, and turning upside down who it is that gets to choose. Leave it to your cousin, right? Leave it to your cousin to, to, to see you buckling under the pressure of lust, to come alongside you and say, there's an outlet for that. Check out this magazine or follow me to where the ladies are. You can take what you want. If you're lucky, maybe they'll give it to you. Parents, are we mindful of those influencing our children directly and indirectly? Whether in person or online, regardless of our age, are we listening to the voice of the vile that says there's an outlet for that or there's an app for that? Maybe it's much more subtle. You need that smartphone. You need unhindered internet access. You, you need it for your job. Are we guarding ourselves and our families against the lies of our culture that say, as long as it is consensual, it is okay. Or, or as long as it's online, it, it's okay. Friends, let's stop listening to the crafty voices outside of us and the broken desires inside of us and listen to our maker and his wisdom to correct and his grace to forgive and his truth that transforms. Sex is for the joyful, consensual, procreative, 
other-centered, satisfying bliss of marriage between one man and one woman bound by marital covenant until separated by death, period. It's meant to point us to the perfect union that Jesus Christ shares now with his body, his church, and will forever experience unhindered once he returns and takes us home. Anything short of that is a twisted version of sex, and it's meant to transform our appetites until we can't recognize and no longer even desire the God-given gift of selfless marital submission and union. And if we are indulging in forbidden sex outside of that context, be it with ourselves or on a screen or with another person, even if consensual, friends, we are amnons in training. What we want, we want. We will take what we want. We will use what we want. We will play with what we want and whom we want. We will discard what we no longer want with no regard for their dignity or the damage that we have caused them. Wait a minute. Did he just compare looking at pornography with sexually abusing someone? I did not do that. I'm not comparing them. I'm equating them. The people that you're watching are being manipulated and abused by money and by drugs and by social pressure to perform sexual sins. Maybe not in the world's eyes, but certainly in God's eyes. This is true. And friend, it is the early steps toward the same destination. Every first-time abuser and serial abusers got their start somewhere. And the growing rape culture is well-documented. And so is the connection of that rape culture to the growing use of pornography among teens and especially young men. As boys and girls grow up with access to pornography, women are more and more seen as simply inferior objects. Sexual gratification is seen as an end in of itself. Male aggression is linked in a deeply twisted way to one of our most fundamentally good, God-given desires. Friends, if you've trained yourself to ignore God's emphatic no on your way to self-satisfaction, what makes you think you're going to listen to a person's no in the future? Or society's no in the future? One blog I read this week said, Is it any wonder that boys being educated about sex by pornographers become rape and bondage pornography that ignores the humanity of women? Is it any wonder that Amnon, after no doubt hearing of his father taking what he wanted in Bathsheba, that you can read about just one chapter prior, now feels like he can take what he wants and that that's normal? And this doesn't just apply to pornography. Gentlemen, if you are getting serious about a gal, maybe even thinking of marrying her soon, know this, that if you cannot wait to touch her, then you're not truly loving her. Same goes for my sisters here. You do not love him if you cannot wait to touch him. I'm speaking from experience. And friends, those who are weaker than us are not our toys to be used and then discarded. And minors are always and forever off limits from anything having to do with sex.
They are to be protected and nurtured, not twisted, not manipulated, not used, and not abused. Let's respect God's boundaries together. Honor God's gift. And whatever temptations you're experiencing, let us help you. Buried in one of the Houston Chronicle articles that came out this week was a story, of course, of dozens and dozens and dozens of unrepentant predators who even cast themselves as the victim. There's buried one story of of, of a, a repentant Abuser who took full responsibility for his actions, paid his punishment in jail, entered a residency program for sexual addicts and abusers, and is now committed to helping others repent, believe truth instead of lies, and obey the Lord with boundary accountability moving forward. See, with proper submission to law enforcement and with specialized help, and most importantly, a repentant heart with accountability ongoing, a person struggling with even the most broken of sexual desires, even the most twisted kind, even if you've acted upon it, you can find help and you can find healing. Sexual abuse is not the unforgivable sin. And yet so often it leads to the unforgivable sin of perpetual unrepentance, hardness of heart, and ultimate unbelief. Amnon's desires were broken. And broken desires can only be healed by confession, bringing what thrives in the dark into the light. Repentance, agreeing with God about the nature of the act and the belief and the desire itself. And then through God-wrought transformation in the truth. Brothers and sisters, let's heed God's word when it says to us, flee sexual immorality and resist the devil and he will flee from you and make every effort to please the Lord in all things. These broken desires that hate God and hate other image bearers are so damaging and destructing, destructive. But the abuser isn't the only culprit when abuse thrives, as we've seen. Let's talk a bit about the family of God, and about broken trust. Let's talk a bit about David and Absalom. The only thing more tragic than an abuser in the midst of God's people are the brothers and fathers and sisters and mothers of God's people who are responsible to protect the vulnerable among us, ignoring the threat, and on top of that, not responding with compassion, with love, and with justice for the abused. In a home where her brothers lived, where her father lived, a young lady like Tamar, married or not, of age or not, should feel safe. She should thrive with a deep trust in the men that are around her. Every child and every woman, their first instinct around every man in their life ought to be safe. But as we saw before, broken desires deceive and they lie quietly under the surface, deep in the untouched, unexposed parts of our souls. And if they're fed, they will grow and they will demand more and more as time goes by. We must resolve as men, as Christian men, to not only expose our soul's desires to one another for accountability and growth and prayer, but dig in with each other to see the temptations that live under the surface of our brothers' lives as well and our sisters' This is why we have gospel communities here at Christ Church. This is why we have discipleship groups. May we never settle for just scratching the surface. 
Though Amnon is ultimately accountable for the sin and destruction he has caused that stems out of his own desire and rebellious nature against God, there, there's still some culpability on, in, in those that surround him, or rather the, those that failed to surround Tamar in her darkest hour. Every person's sin is a twisted combination of our nature that is against God and our choices that are against God. And there's this really gray area in between called the nurture of our lives. And sometimes our parents and our community nurture us away from sin, and yet we still choose it. And sometimes we are raised in a, in a, in a context where sin is encouraged, and by God's grace we snap out of that and choose what is right. You don't, we don't know in this story much about Amnon's nurturing. His dad did, after all, write many of the psalms we so cherish. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for using a broken stick to draw a straight line for us in the psalms. Yet when the rubber met the road and his daughter was violated by his son, David's anger raged, yes, but he did nothing to comfort his daughter or to bring her abuser to justice. Instead, he gave him implicit protection in his palace. Where were the comforting psalms, David, and the truths therein? Where were the promises of God's opposition to sin and abuse that we heard read for us? Where was the message of hope that God who saves is also the God who makes all things new? Tamar needed those words. And I know that many of you in this room need those words to marinate your soul. Tamar's brother, David's other son, Absalom. At first, he sounds like he may be helpful. Now hold your peace, my sister. Don't take this to heart. It's hard to know exactly what he's doing there, but we know that it wasn't ultimately helpful because of the results. Verse 20, Tamar lived a desolate woman the rest of her days. And later in that same chapter, Absalom takes matters into his own hands by luring his brother Amnon, the abuser, away from the safety of King David's palace in order to murder him. Again, no words of comfort for Tamar. No patient justice for her either. Absalom shows that his goal was not to honor the Lord or his sister, but to exercise personal vengeance, to fight for his own honor in his own way. Taking matters into our own hands is about us and our reputation. That's why many churches do not report abuse. Too many of them are too afraid of the more immediate shame of what has happened to press into those who hurt and hold those who have done the hurting accountable in a godly way. The easy thing to do is just fire the employee quietly and then hope they never come back with no regard for the ongoing damage that the sin followed by sin compounds for those who have already suffered and those who could still yet become victims. With no regard for the ongoing damage, damage continues. What about for us? Where can these same mistakes, both in preventing abuse and responding to abuse, show a lack of care? Jonadab, who we mentioned earlier, He knew what kind of monster Amnon was and the things he was considering. And instead of rebuking Amnon, his broken desires, he fostered it and fed it. We saw before, God help us if we have any Jonadabs 
among us who are encouraging sexual sin, helping map it out, cheering it on. May it never be. And if it is, may it be found out, exposed, and rebuked, and as appropriate, punished with God-ordained consequences. And though the text does not say whether David or Absalom knew about Amnon's desires, which I'm suspicious they probably did, a guy doesn't just turn into a rapist overnight. Either way, abusers, especially serial abusers, they are so crafty, so cunning, and they're hard to catch. So even if others did not see this coming, care must be given to both prevent situations where such abuse can happen, And give voice and compassion and justice to those that we discover have been abused. Prevention must begin at the family level. It must rise to the church level. And clearly somehow, as we've seen in these recent days, prevention must happen at a local convention, a state convention, and a national convention level as well. Because naivety leads to complacency and complacency leads to tragedy. Parents, do you know the nature and the details of all the relationships your children and your teenagers have? And I mean all the relationships. When's the last time you asked your child or your teen directly if they have ever been touched or shown something or told something in an inappropriate way? When's the last time you asked them, is anyone telling you to keep a secret from us? The days of one-and-done talks about the birds and the bees are long gone, my friends. We must make this a regular part of our communication to our children, even our young children. There are a handful of wonderful resources and books that can help you as a parent to open up this conversation and help it to become a more regular part of your relationship with your child, even starting as young as three or four, to help them understand and converse about where babies come from as well as God's beautiful design for reproducing bodies. And of course, as they mature, the, the conversation ought to mature, giving them paths to walk to you, familiar language to use with you, familiar topics to discuss with you, and familiar posture of openness that helps them recognize and report twisted versions of sexuality that they encounter on their soccer fields and in the bathrooms of their schools even their Christian schools. I just ordered an extra copy of the book series that we've been using for the last several years with our boys, which we're not done yet with. I suspect we won't be done until they're long gone out of our homes. But you'll be able to check them out of our little mobile library that we have starting next week, and we can link you to them in the weekly email and feature them and give brief descriptions. It's telling that every few months when we bring up these questions with our boys, asking, has anyone touched, shown, or said anything about sex or bodies to you lately? We almost always discover something new we did not know about. That's a bit disturbing from both their unbelieving and their Christian friends. And what a great opportunity. We ought not be afraid of these things. What a great opportunity to exercise the freedom and the gift that God has given a child through their parents to show them what a foundation of God-honoring view of the purity and the gift that sex is. What a privilege we have, parents. When it comes to situational wisdom, we've 
We've known some parents who've decided early on that their children will never be alone with an adult male. Never. And they mean never. And they mean any. Not that every man is a predator, of course, but by making it a rule, this family, they don't have to pick and choose who to trust and roll the dice, especially in light of the fact that most predators strike first in their own families. Others I've read about, and we've sort of taken this posture ourselves, is no sleepovers. Crazy fundamentalist Christian, all your rules. Why don't you let loose and have a little fun? We talk about it a bit, and I'm like, what what do you want to go do there? Well, sleep. I'm like, you you can do that here, and you won't know the difference. I promise you, you won't know the difference. Oh, you want to hang out and stay up really late and play without parental supervision. We don't do that anyway, so no. Totally cool with long, even later into the evening hangout nights. Parents, do you know the thought life, the online life, the sexual history and convictions of grandpa, of uncle, or of that older cousin? For those of you with older children and teens, please, please never assume anything. Don't assume that abuse could never happen to your child or your teen. Push through the awkwardness. Take a posture of humility and ask the hard questions consistently. Be ready to address things patiently as your heart rate climbs, compassionately as your blood boils, and with love and conviction and care for them as they open up to you about these things. Sit down at the next meal and ask those questions. Let's reject altogether our Davidic and Absalomic tendencies by being quick to ask questions, quick to listen all the way through and quick to love all the way through. That's just a bit about the family. Now about the church, our local church. We thank God for Adam and Carice's church. Adam, our deacon of children's ministry. Carice, his wife, as they team up to equip and lead our Christ Church Kids ministry. Every person who works with the children must pass a background check and follow very specific bathroom and classroom protocols as to leave no room for evil temptation or action, or accusation. It's, it's designed as much to protect the adults as it is the children. No single adult child pairs ever permitted in the bathrooms at Christ Church. And even diaper changing in the nursery has another adult standing by for accountability. We invite you, especially if your children are in Christ Church Kids, to bring any questions or concerns about anything that you have observed or your child has experienced, to come to us quickly. Email pastors at ChristChurchABQ.com and we will act swiftly to help you figure out what exactly happened and how to respond to it. We will investigate, we will provide the absolute safest environment possible for children at Christ Church as much as it is up to us. At the middle school and high school level, we're currently working closely with Ben and Maddie Johnson, our youth leaders, we love so much and are so thankful for, to review our policies with teens as well. We want to make sure that parents can continue to send your youth there to that ministry with confidence and a real degree 
of comfort that no assumptions have been made and no guards have been left down and that the safety of no teen has been compromised or risked. Even at the gospel community level, we have guidelines for leaders when it comes to child care that are meant to protect children, including no unaccountable child adult alone time, no one except parents taking little ones to the bathroom or changing diapers as well. On a staff and, and leader level, we have some strict standards in place for pastoral accountability, like no texting or meeting with the opposite sex unless we are copying our spouses and looping the other staff pastor in as with regards to the details of the purpose and the duration and the outcome of public-only meetings. I would say it's very rare for us to meet one-on-one, for me to meet one-on-one with a female in this church. It's not unheard of, but you, you better believe my wife is getting, my wife and Nathan are getting a text before the meeting starts as to what the purpose is and after the meeting ends with a briefing of what the meeting was about. And it's all done in public. Since background checks don't catch those first-time offenders, and because policies and protocols are only as good as the folks who are trying to follow them, we will be further training all of our leaders to ask more intentional questions, to know their people more closely, to develop a more open posture of, prof- of confession and prevention. At the elder level, we have uh, both our staff and lay elders. We have quarterly accountability times where we ask very specific questions about every area of life and ministry with special emphasis on the purity of our thought life and our action toward the opposite sex. And every new deacon and gospel community leader in their interview is asked details about their history of sexual sin and temptation currently and ongoing. And they must give an account to us at any moment when we ask how they're doing in that area. So most of that is preventative. And, but, but, but it's important for us to talk not just about how to prevent, but how to respond. No system is foolproof. No human system will be foolproof. We can try our hardest. We can ask the hard questions in community. We can open wide the floodgates of communication with our children as we ought. But if something slips through, what if the unthinkable slips through and happens Do we quiet our sisters? Do we quiet our children? We tell them they must be confused. Do we get angry or embarrassed by the story and go into pretend mode? Do we sweep it under the rug of our family? Do we sweep it under the rug of our church? Do we tell the abused, keep your peace? Do not take this to heart. Maybe someone has come to you about being sexually assaulted. Did you Absalom or David them in any way? Did you cast a suspicious and guilty tone toward the victim implying somehow they must have been to blame? You shouldn't have been there. You shouldn't have worn that. May it never be out of our lips. I don't care what you wore or didn't wear. I don't care where you were. No one has the right to take what is not freely offered and given in the context of marital union, period. Paul says in Romans 12 that the household of God weeps with those who weep. We do not shush those who weep. We do not blame those who weep. Friend, if you have been sexually abused, we want to know about it. 
We want you to know that we love you and that what happened to you does not change our love for you or God's love for you. We want to know how you feel. We want to share in your brokenness. We want to get into that valley with you so that we can try to help lead you out of it by God's grace and spirit and the light of his truth. We want to help you find the words to speak about your trauma. We want to speak the truth of God's word against the lies of the abuser and against the lies that haunt the abused. We want to engage the proper authorities and prevent this person from harming you or anyone else ever again. So many of you, friends, have already been so brave and bold in the aftermath of abuse to come to us for prayer and for counsel in the past year or so. Over a dozen of you have informed us about recent or distant sexual abuse from your past, and our hearts have broken with yours. Our hearts have broken. We've wept with and prayed for you. We've sat in your living rooms with APD and supported you in court proceedings. Many of you have begun to share your stories more openly with your family members and your gospel communities. And the abused are being comforted by God and now being used by God to comfort others through the deepest waters that the fall has to offer. So you may say, well, okay, that's encouraging. It's encouraging that things are happening and people are talking and things are being shared here in our local church. We pray that does encourage you to come forward and talk. If not here, after the service in person, of course, we know that that's, that's touchy. Email us, pastors, at ChristChurchABQ.com. We're the only ones that see that, and we can start the conversation, and we can bring alongside Karen Avery, our deacon of women's ministry. We can, we can get you in touch with her. If, if you feel more comfortable emailing her directly, we can get you her email address. You don't have to tell us any of the details. We want to be here for you. What about, what about beyond the local church? What about the Southern Baptist Convention? Should we stay in friendly cooperation with this Southern Baptist Convention as we have been? One member wrote us this week in an email asking that very question. It seems like the SBC is burning. Should we stay in it, they asked. To which we as leaders, we've come to agree that whether something is being destroyed by fire or refined by fire, it will both feel the same on the inside and look the same on the outside initially. And we pray deeply that it is the latter of the two that is happening. Our hope is that this fire in the Southern Baptist Convention is the great refiner's fire, that the old days of don't ask and don't tell and sweep away and move on out and become someone else's problem are coming to an end. And that we, along with many other abuse-woke churches, will meet this new challenge with deep compassion, real accountability, and a commitment to protect the innocent and vulnerable among us. We pray that this is a wake-up call for churches across the country and across the globe, even our own state convention, that we need to turn a corner with regard to awareness 
an accountability and communication with regards to these things. We are thankful for the relatively new and rising and increasing, increasingly vocal leaders at the national level, as Nathan mentioned, that seem to be signaling, even before this report came out, that the old standards are being questioned and rethought and refined in light of the gospel and in light of God's word and in light of practical wisdom and love for neighbor. We pray these voices drown out the status quo. Hopefully you'll take some time, your own time, to read some of these voices that we've been linking you to. We'll continue to do that as things unfold. These voices inside the SBC leadership that are even thanking the Houston Chronicle for doing work that the convention should have done and should have approved years ago. And calling for more transparency, more accountability, more conversation, and ultimately action that protects people. We are all in for this new wave. We are all in. I hope you're all in with us. We will do everything in our power, even as a small church in this convention, to encourage and implement these things. And if it doesn't stick, friends, we will get out. Broken desires and broken trust lead to our third point, broken hearts. Let's talk a bit about Tamar. Some of the victims reported in the Houston Chronicle said they stopped going to church and some even stopped believing in God altogether. They asked, if God exists, how could he allow a monster like that to lead his church? Tamar, like so many sexual abuse victims, was deceived by her brother into thinking that what she was doing was right and good. Handmade food for my sick brother, a commitment to nursing him back to health, she believed she was safe until it was too late. And case after case in the Houston Chronicle report investigation showed how pastors and youth ministers used their spiritual influence to lure their victims into thinking that these sexual interactions were right until it was too late. Amnon, as he took hold of Tamar and asked her to lie with him, the crushing reality of his broken desires and that broken trust they set in for her very quickly. And instead of freezing, as many of us might do, Tamar had the wisdom and the wit about her to appeal against this act and the disgrace it would bring to both her and to him and ultimately to the God's people and to God himself. God had already said no in his word. Then Amnon's heart was telling him no as well. And now, through Tamar's voice, he was being told no. Verse 14 says, but he would not listen to her. And being stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. Tamar was silenced before and during and after this violation. And just as she predicted, the shame was too much for her to bear. In a culture where virginity and premarital purity was what defined your value as a woman, Tamar now wore the ashes and torn robe of shame openly. You may be wondering, is there any hope in this text? Is there any hope in this text for me? Is there any hope in this text for my child? I get it. Besides Tamar's bravery to fight back and speak up, there is little to cling to by way of godliness in this story. Tamar is humiliated. She is violated. She is silenced and full of unbearable shame. What a dark note her story ends on, that she lived a desolate woman. So many among us, so many among us long for their or their loved one's story to end differently than Tamar's. 
And friends, that is exactly why Tamar's story is in the Holy Scriptures. You see, God's people thought that King David was their rescuer. That he would be their savior. King David who all but rid the promised land of godless pagans and yet could not rid his own heart or household of pagan practices. God's people thought that David would bring God's forever restorative rule with perfect justice and peace. But Tamar's story is the polar opposite of God's promise to bring us back to Eden, back to his presence where human bodies are sacred, sexual violation is impossible, and abuse is unheard of. This brings us to our final point. Broken desires that lead to broken trust and to broken hearts can only be redeemed by a broken Savior. God does not leave the Tamars of the world and of Christ church and in the Southern Baptist Convention without hope. The true and forever King Jesus won't settle for angry inaction like King David's. The hope in Tamar's story is not found in the details of Tamar's story, but in the gaps in what is missing in Tamar's story. There is hope in the contrast between what happened to her and what should have happened for her. Praise be to God that where Tamar has silenced, the members of Christ's church have a voice. Where Tamar was quieted, we pray the members of Christ's church will have listeners. Where Tamar had cold injustice, you can have compassionate justice. And where Tamar did not have a redeemer, a friend, you have a redeemer who makes all things new by his grace. Sexual assault does not define who you are. It is a part of your story, yes. If it has happened to you, it is part of your story, but it is not the end of your story. It's not even the main event of your story. You are not broken beyond repair. You are not damaged goods. You are whole in Christ if you are in Christ. And you can feel whole in Christ again. He makes all things new by his grace. He can carry the shame that we bear if we are willing to pour it out upon him through our tears together. Come to me, Jesus says, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Tamar asked, where can I carry my shame? Where can I take it to? Christ is glad and willing with his hands out to take it off of your heart, even though it costs him his life. And he will gladly use his people here to remind you that your identity is not in how you lost your virginity. It is in whose daughter you are forever and whose life your redemption was worth being the daughter or son of a forever heavenly king brings forever and heavenly comfort to us now through the fellowship of his heavenly forever family. And in order to forgive our broken hearts, God broke his son. In order to free us from our broken trust, our inability to prevent, our, our, our poor response to abuse, God broke his son. And in order to bind up our broken and abused hearts, God broke his son. David's king would eventually split and crumble, but God did not leave his people hopeless. Many years later, even as God's people were, were suffering under the weight of punishment and exile because 
of the mounting king after king after king after David's own heart's faithlessness. The prophet Isaiah says this. Jesus Christ says these words through the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of those ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of that mourning. And the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Do you hear that, Tamar? That's why Christ came. Grace is love that seeks you out even if you have nothing to give in return. Grace is being loved when you are or feel unlovable. Grace is the power to turn despair into hope. Grace listens, it lifts up, it cures, it transforms, it heals. This is the promise. This is the prerogative of our God. He is committed to restoring all that is broken through his broken son, and we as members and as leaders of Christ church, we stand willing and ready to walk the road of restoration together in his strength. Won't you come? Won't you come and talk with us? Won't you talk and pray more with one another? May God move in these ways among us so that we might cherish Christ all the more who is broken to bind our broken hearts. Let's pray. God, we know that you receive none except those that are forsaken and that you restore to health none but those who are sick and that you give sight to none but those that are blind and you give life to none but those that are dead. That your mercy comes to none but the wretched and gives grace to none but those who are in disgrace. We are in disgrace. We are wretched. We are dead. We are blind. We are forsaken. We are sick. Heal us, O Lord, and we shall be healed. Save us, and we shall be saved. For you are our praise, and we long for all people to praise you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.